morning. I would say happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. It's great to be in God's church. Amen. Amen. You know, I want to say a big thank you to Pastor Carlos for the warm welcome that he gave me. I so enjoyed Thursday afternoon. We, we uh, went out, we did a couple of visits, and we, um, I was talking to him about some of the contacts that we've been making in the, uh, in the uh, community uh, with the cities and, and uh, civic leaders and not-for-profit leaders, uh, leaders uh, in the community. It's so great, amen, to see people doing things in our community, but it's even better when we're involved ourselves, Amen. Amen? No, 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 no. Come on. This is Sabbath. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you. My, my name is Pastor Sean Robinson, and as, as Pastor um, correctly identified, I come from the North American Division. I'm just a new implant into the North American Division, and uh, for the last 13 and a half, 14 years, I was serving in Texaco Conference, and I served as a pastor for eight years in two church, church areas. One was Lubbock and Plainview, and the second was in Amarillo. And then I've served in the conference office as the association secretary for the last five or so years before being asked to, to step into this position at North American Division. And where, how I serve you there is through disaster response, crisis care, which is a ministry for um, spiritual renewal in disasters, whether they're large or, or small, and also youth empowered to serve, um, or yes. And um, I believe that as a church... Um, our responsibility to serve our community is not optional. We, we often treat church as though things are optional, that we come to church on Sabbath morning and we go away and we might talk about Jesus once or twice during the week, but then we come again next Sabbath and we praise the Lord for everything, but we haven't made a difference in people's lives. And Jesus actually said something very profound. He said he was fed by doing the will of his father. In, order, in, in other words, as Jesus carried out acts of service, whether they were miracles that, of health, healing, whether it was feeding somebody, what, whatever the issue was, whether he just restored somebody's self-worth, because he did that too, to people who were broken. Whatever it was that Jesus had done, he was doing it through the power that he received on a daily basis from God directly, from the father directly. And that was how he was fed. He wasn't fed coming to worship. We come to worship to say thank you to God for feeding us. Amen? Amen. And so, friends, you know, I'm so grateful to be here. When pastor told me it was communion Sabbath uh, and, and uh, extended an invitation to, to preach this morning, I said thank you very, very much. And, uh, I, you know, we, I, I'm excited about getting into God's word. Are you this morning? Amen? Amen. Let's, why don't we turn in our Bibles back to the book of John chapter 13. And before we do that, I want you to, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer as we, as we invite in a very special way God's presence here as we open his word and ask his Holy Spirit to lead and guide us through the, the words that John writes here. Father, we're so grateful that we, Lord, that you have given us life. You've given us health. Lord, you've given us the opportunity to even sing songs of praise to you. Lord, we have come together in this place to worship you. Because, Lord, you ordained this day as your day when you created this world. But also, Lord, as we remember um, the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we remember that it was on the Sabbath that Jesus rested in the grave. And then again, on the first day of the week, he came back to life and was, it was a demonstration of the newness of life that you have planned for us. 
Father, we're longing for the day when Jesus is going to return in the clouds of glory. Father, we're looking forward to that day. But today, as we come to worship you, Lord, we want to be, Lord, we want to be reminded, not of our filth and our sin, because, Lord, we know how bad we are. But, Lord, we want to be reminded of the blood of Jesus, the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. And, Father, we want to be reminded that as we accept the beautiful gift that you have given to us, Lord, in that restoration, you have a plan for each one of us. A plan, Lord, not just to restore, but to empower us to be your disciples, your servants, wherever you place us. And so, Father, as we bow our heads humbly before you and we ask that your Holy Spirit will rest upon our hearts and our minds, Lord, draw us closer to you, draw us closer to one another, but fill us, Lord, with an awe of the responsibilities that you want to achieve and accomplish through each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I imagine that the first day of the week that was leading up to the crucifixion, the first day of that week, I imagine it kind of a day like today. Now, I happened to come into this town on Tuesday night, and it was was very cold. And I woke up on Wednesday morning. I didn't wake up early enough to see it, but I understand that it snowed on Wednesday morning. And there was fresh snow on the ground. So let's forget that part of the week and focus on yesterday and today. Amen? Amen. Because yesterday and today, there was blue skies. And I imagine that as Jesus walked into Jerusalem, as he journeyed into Jerusalem on that first day of the week, this is just my mind, it's not biblical. I just imagine it was a beautiful spring day. And the sun was shining and the birds were singing. And he had that sense of anticipation that something big was going to happen. Just like sometimes when we hear those birds singing in the morning, as the dawn is is breaking, you're left with that intention. Today is going to be not just a good day, but something big. And Jesus knew that something big was going to happen that week. He knew. And yet he comes into Jerusalem. And as you read the stories Uh, And the accounts by the various gospel writers, they each emphasize different things and different component parts. He's riding in on an ass. And as he's riding in, he's demonstrating his kingship. That's why he chose that animal to go into the city. And as he goes into the city, the people come out of their homes and they throng about and around him. And they're cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're waving palm branches that they've torn down off the trees that are around him. And as they're waving them around him, there was a sense of enthusiasm and excitement. The king was coming to liberate the Israelites from the bondage. They thought of Rome. How disappointed they must have been at the end of the week as Jesus hung on the cross. But the disciples who had been with Jesus those three and a half years, as they're coming in in together, and as all this hubbub is going on around them, Jesus, they turn to Jesus and they say to Jesus, Jesus, tell them to be quiet. Have you ever thought about that? How often do we tell young Christians to be quiet? You know, friends, 
We're not in the being quiet business. And Jesus turned to them and he actually said, if, um, if I tell them to be quiet, the very rocks and the stones will cry out who I am. Because friends, you and I have been charged by God with the important task of sharing our faith. And if we don't share it, God has another plan. He's not going to wait for us. And as Jesus, as Jesus is talking to them, as Jesus is talking to them, the very rocks, those inanimate objects all around us, they know who their creator is. If you've read the Bible, you discover that even it, David in the Psalms talks about the planets having a sound. I believe it's a sound of praise to God, their creator. Scientists are only just catching up, recognizing that there may be planets out there that have inhabitants on them. Read the Bible. It already has talked about that thousands of years ago. Amen? And so Jesus, at some point that day, as he's going in to Jerusalem, at some point he turns to two of his disciples. Kind of like the inner circle of the inner circle, the, 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 the sort of the smaller group of his trusted disciples. And he turns to them and he says, I want you two to go and make provision for the Passover supper. Now, Jesus certainly wasn't a fool. And Jesus, knowing that they were humans just like you and I, he tells them where they should go. He tells them what they should do when they get there. He's giving them instruction. Because you, he knows that you and I have a way of trying to do things our way. And Jesus wants them done his way. Those two and they make provision. So let's fast forward now to Thursday night. That's where we are in John chapter 13. Please turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 13. And here's what happens. The disciples and Jesus enter the upper room. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew the plan that was in place. He knew the responsibility that was resting on his shoulders. He knew that he had come to this world, and the number one priority of everything that he was coming to do was to pay the redemptive price for the sins of mankind, for our sins, for your sins and my sins. He came for us just as he did for Abraham and Isaac and Noah. There's a lot of discussion about Noah. And Noah and Adam and Eve. Every one of us, when Jesus hung on the cross, he paid the price of the sins for all Mankind. Amen? So verse 4. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. I want you to notice what Jesus does here. Because this isn't just the beginning. This is the end of something that had been going on amongst the disciples. There was a discussion. There was a tussle for power. They couldn't decide who was going to be the most powerful, whether, whether it was going to be John or Peter. They all had their own discussions. In fact, two of them even had their mom go and have a chat with Jesus. When you get into your kingdom, remember my sons. They need to sit on your left and your right-hand side. Can you imagine? I love my mom. We love our moms, amen? Amen. Gentlemen, please, amen? Amen. And our wives who are moms, we love them, amen? Amen. But ladies, please don't do what she did. Can you imagine if my mom picked up the phone and, and called Elder Dan Jackson at the North American Division president and said, Dan, my son, he's been working for you for the last month or two. He's a great guy, isn't he? Isn't it about time that you gave him her promotion? Can you imagine what would happen to my credibility if my well-meaning mom did that? But that's what they did. They were fighting amongst themselves. They were arguing. They were discussing who would be the best. Who was number one? We do it in the church today. We argue over the little things and blow them up to be big things before you know what's happened. Friends, we fight. And Jesus tells us there's no room for fighting in the church. We're in the redemption business. And you know what happened that evening? Because you've sat on church boards and you've sat on different committees. You know what happened. They came into the upper room and they realized that Somebody, those two disciples, who was supposed to have made provision for the person to wash the feet of everybody coming in, they forgot. You see, there was always a slave or the the most junior person in the family who was the one responsible for washing people's feet. It was one of the social customs of the time. And so here's one of the major social faux pas of that evening. Nobody had been charged with the responsibility of washing the feet. And now you know what now happens. Because they would have sat there looking at one another, winking and nodding and nudging. It's your responsibility because you're the junior guy. And when the junior guy said, no, I'm not doing it, and looked away, in turn they would have gone to the next most junior, and the next most junior, and the next most junior, and certainly they would get up to the last one who thought he was the numero uno, and he wasn't going to do it either. And Jesus, Jesus stands up. He takes off his cloak. He grabs the towel, he grabs the basin, he grabs the water, and he kneels 
at the dirty, stinking, smelly feet of those disciples. God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, our creator, the one who breathed life into us. He was the one kneeling at the feet of the disciples. And it was stinky, smelly, disgusting feet. Covered in everything, dust and animal excrement, everything you can imagine that was on the roads that they would have walked through, everything was covering their feet. And Jesus knelt down and he washed their feet. One by one. What a metaphor for our lives. We are covered in the excrement of sin. It's disgusting to God. God created us to be his sons and his daughters. We were given the most beautiful position that we could have ever asked for in the entire universe. And then we allowed the devil to come into this world and we sold ourselves to sin. And sometimes the sin is our pride. We think that we are not really that bad. Somehow that we're better than everybody else around us. Somehow we know that it's not that bad in my home. Friends, it's bad. It's disgusting. It's repulsive. And yet God knelt at the feet of those disciples. And as he washed each stinky, smelly foot, each one, he showed that he, that God, would love us so much that he was willing to do anything he could to demonstrate that love to us. You see, friends, unfortunately, when we look at the cross, so often we talk about it and we take it for granted. When we see Jesus hanging there in our place, it's so easy for us to become, to create a series of cliches around it. And then we go and do our things. We get baptized. And we make that commitment to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you. And almost immediately, we find ourselves in the pit of despair, sinning time and time again. As Jesus instituted these humble, this humble service, he's giving us an opportunity to be reminded, not just of our sins that we commit on a daily basis, but that Jesus washes the sin away. When we come to the throne of grace, there's redemption and there's restoration. And Jesus has a plan for the future for our lives. Amen? Amen. You see, it doesn't matter whether it's blasphemy 
or adultery or abuse or addictions or theft or lying or gossip or arguing or any of the other myriad of different things that we do in our sinful lives. It makes no difference. We're all equal and God alone is the solution to the problem that we, that we have. You see, what unites us is not our sins. What unites us in this church this morning is that we are here because of one thing, redemptive power of Jesus Christ. The problem was that Peter, just like us, he's the tempestuous one. He's the one that just can't keep his mouth shut. You know, there's one in every group, right? There's one in every home. In fact, often it's all of us. But this day it was Peter. And Peter is the one who, as Jesus comes to him, notice he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, verse 6, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Peter suddenly dawns on him. Here's God at my feet. There's something wrong with the picture. There is, isn't there? When we look at the picture from sin, there's a big problem. But when we look at the picture from the eyes of a loving God who takes care and nurtures and develops and sustains and creates, it turns upside down on its head and it has a different point of view. No, said Peter, verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus, you have no part with me. Friends, there is no other way. We can't turn to the other religions of the world. All of them focus on what we do. And the Bible focuses us on what God does for us. God alone is the one who washes us clean. He's the one who takes all those sins and he makes them disappear in the depths of the bottom of the sea. He's the one who on the day of judgment stands in our place and says, I am the one who paid the price for these sins, for this sinner. Because he accepted the grace and the love that I had on offer for him. Verse 9, then Lord, Simon Peter replies, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. My hands, the representation of the efforts of what I do on a daily basis. My head, where all the intellect is. I want to put that, Lord, at your feet. And Jesus simply says to him, those who have had a bath already need only to be washed to only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. He knew the heart of Judas Iscariot. But we are clean. We are clean when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're clean when we step down into the waters of the baptistry, and we symbolize the beginning of that relationship with God. We're clean when we start the day in prayer and Bible study with Jesus. 
and we end it. And we spend every moment in between as an opportunity to reflect on him and his love and his grace. And when we follow the ordinance of this simple ceremony of humility, we're clean because Jesus is the one who makes us clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you that no servant is greater than the master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, friends, right there, Jesus was teaching us that foot washing is a humble, humbling experience where we start to think about someone else. It's not just about me. By kneeling down and washing somebody else's feet, I start to commune with that person and think about the issues that that person is going through and how I can help them, how I can encourage them, how I can nurture them and develop them. It's it's an act of obedience because Jesus was the one who told us we need to wash one another's feet. It's the way that we say that we want our relationship with Christ to grow stronger and deeper and with one another because of the love that Jesus brings and shares through each one of us. And it's the thoughtful and gentle asking of questions that requires humility when we listen that builds friendships and relationships amongst us. You see, friends, by washing dirty feet, Jesus showed us. By washing one another's feet, you and I demonstrate God's love, that he died for us and that he has a plan for us. And that that plan includes serving and taking care of one another. And this community that God has placed us in the midst of. One Sabbath, I was standing at the doors of one of my churches. This young lady came bursting through the door. And she said, Pastor, she said, I'm so sorry to have come this morning. She said, today was an awful day. The kids were playing up. She had three kids. They were about seven or eight years old. Pastor, she said, they, they were playing up. They couldn't find the right shoes. And, and she said, they couldn't even find decent clothes to wear. So I've just brought them in their jeans and their T-shirts. I'm so sorry. She said, I'm, I want to go and take them home. And I looked at one of the kids' feet. And from two different pairs of shoes, he had chosen the same foot. You get the picture. And I just wrapped my arms around her. And I said, you are in the right place. 
we are so glad that you brought your kids. Dirty feet and all. This is the place for dirty feet. This is the place that we unite. Not about how great we are. But we unite about the most humble gift that God has given to us. Jesus Christ. Dirty feet. Sometimes we talk about right and wrong. Sometimes we talk about left and right. There's no left and right where Jesus is concerned. It's not conservative versus liberal. We bring terms of the world into the church when we use those terms. Jesus condemned them. What he said was, come and be a follower of me. Jesus wants us to be followers of him. That's what we do. That's why we're Christians. That's why we focus on the things that are important to Christ. Because the things that are important to him are the way that we want to live our lives. One poet wrote these words. He came as a peacemaker and they missed him. They were looking for a king. He came as a servant and they missed him. They were looking for liberation from Rome. He submitted to the Roman cross and they missed him. They were looking for a fit to their mold. He was the mold maker and they missed him. What are you looking for? Lion, warrior, king, liberator. What are you looking for? They were looking for their temporal needs to be met. They came to meet their eternal need and they missed him. He came as a lamb to be sacrificed for your sin. Will you miss him? He came to make peace between God and man. Will you miss him? He came to model servanthood for all mankind. Will you miss him? He came that we might have true liberty. Will you miss him? When we submit to the lamb, we will meet the lion. Join with the peacemaker and we will meet the warrior. Work with the servant and we will meet the king. Walk with the submitted and we will meet the liberator. Concern ourselves with the eternal and we will meet the temporal. If Jesus is not fitting your mold that you have, then come to the mold maker and get a new one. Submit to his plan for your life and you will see the eternal needs met first. And then all the other things that you have need of will be taken care of as well. Pastor, as we have time to separate this morning, let's go in that spirit of humbleness and wash dirty, stinky feet. Let's pray together. Let's wrap our arms around one another. And let's say, Jesus, we want to thank you for the gift of grace that you paid when you died on the cross for me, for us, and for this town. God bless you.